So last week, I began a series, Created with Intent. It's going to be a series of messages, but the premise of every message is a very simple one. It's this, that God creates humankind with a particular purpose in mind. There's a purpose for our lives, and we find life and fulfillment as we align our lives with God's purpose. If we cut against the grain, if we resist the will of God, no matter how good our intentions may be, we are certain to get in our own way and cause ourselves great grief. So that's the premise of it, created with intent. And last week we saw that when God creates us, he creates us in his own image, which basically means that God has designated us his representatives in the world. We are to be in this world as God is. So that's our purpose. That's how we fulfill God's purpose for us, by imaging God in the world. Now, the fact is, though that may have been God's original purpose, things have fallen apart in the world. Things are not as they were originally. We talk about the world being fallen. We talk about humanity being fallen. The fact is, we have to live out our lives in a world very different from the one that God originally created. So in Genesis chapter 2, last week we were in Genesis 1, but Genesis chapter 2, we see this idyllic world. God creates Adam. He places him in the garden to till it and keep it. You have to take care of a garden. There's work for Adam to do, but it is blessed work because Adam is living in fellowship with God. Still, Adam needs more than just God in his life, and so God creates for him the perfect companion, the complement to himself, Eve. And Adam and Eve are brought together, and together they are able to begin raising up a family and begin the story of humanity. Now, in this garden in which they are placed, there are trees that are pleasing to the eye and good for food, every single one of the trees. But there are two trees in the middle of the garden. One is the tree of life. One is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's an interesting story. These trees are mysterious, almost magical. But there they are in the middle of the garden. And God says to Adam and Eve, that they may eat from any of the trees in the garden, including the tree of life, but there is one tree they must not eat from, and that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of that tree, he says, you will certainly die. And so the chapter ends. Adam and Eve in the garden, this beautiful garden with this privilege of eating freely within the garden, save this one tree, in fellowship with God. And it says at the end of chapter 2 that they were naked and they were not ashamed. And so there they are, innocent. There is no sin. Then chapter 3 opens. And chapter 3 tells us something about our world and about us that is essential for us to understand. Because you remember last week I was saying that if you want to know what your purpose is, you want to find yourself, you don't find it by turning and looking within, it's by looking up. 
It's not discovering something in yourself. It's hearing the call of God to be his representative in the world. That's how you find yourself. Jesus said you have to lose yourself to find yourself. You start trying to keep your own life, your life independent from God, you'll lose everything worth having. So I was drawing that distinction between looking up and looking within. But see, that distinction comes because the world has fallen. Things are out of joint. There was a time when what was within matched the call of God above and all was harmony, but not after the events of chapter 3. So I want to read from Genesis chapter 3, and I just want us to walk through this. This is all laying the foundation for where I want to go. You already know I want to get into some controversial issues. I don't want to get into them because I want to get into them. I, I feel the need to get into them because I feel like even in the church, the faith of many people is beginning to be eroded because they don't see how the gospel is truly good because it seems so hard and it seems so restrictive. And everywhere in the world, we're being told a different gospel, this gospel of authenticity, where you have to find yourself. And to find yourself, you have to throw off the burden of society's expectations. You have to throw off the burden of other people's commandments. You can't let religion come into the picture. You have to be true to yourself and express that. For goodness sake, that's the message of every single Disney movie. And it's the message of every drag queen story time. That is the truth. You will hear it everywhere. Why is that not so? Now, see, I'm not wanting to attack anyone. This series is not going to be polemical. What I'm wanting to do is to lay out where, where the truth is. What is it about us as humans? What were we created for and what has gone wrong? Until we know that, we can't understand what good news is. We're not ready to hear gospel until we understand that. And see, the confusions in our culture go back not simply to a failure to understand God, but it's a failure to understand humanity. That's why I'm going there. And it's taking me some time to lay the foundation because I'm not interested in just picking up contemporary issues and being, you know, another pundit pontificating. How about that? A pundit pontificating. All right, we're going to Genesis chapter 3. And guess what? You don't have a slide on the screen. So you have to use your own Bible or your own phone or your own steel trap memory. So if you turn to Genesis chapter 23. By the way, I enjoyed so much uh, the band leading us in some of the, the songs that the youth sang, but I, I noticed the choir. The choir was singing, and, and they sounded particularly good. And and I wasn't quite sure why, and then I saw it. There was Gary right in the middle of the choir. Man, you picked it up. So at the end of chapter 2, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Of course, God didn't say that. He's making the commandment sound so much more restrictive, but, but he's looking for an inroad into Eve's mind and life. He's wanting to inject the idea that God is hard. And so he says, is it really true? I've heard, I've heard that God won't let you eat from any of the trees. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. That phrase, you must not touch it, it's not quite clear why Eve says that. I suppose it could be just a policy she put in place. God says you don't eat the tree, you don't touch it either, just stay away. But it's right after, it's right after the serpent's trying to in, insinuate a kind of suspicion toward God, maybe insinuate a hardness on the part of God, and now she seems perhaps at least to be buying it. God said you can't eat from just one tree, and you can't even touch it. You can't even touch it, she says. If you do, you will die. Verse 4, you will not certainly die. What an absurd idea that you're going to die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that's an interesting phrase. You will be like God. Now, wait a minute. I thought she was like God. Weren't Adam and Eve both created in the image of God? They're already in the likeness of God. But here's the serpent saying, you know what? You're not really like God. There's something that's been held back from you. You can be more than what you are. All you have to do is eat this fruit, this fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat that and your eyes will be opened. You'll see something you've not seen before. What's that? The knowledge of good and evil, which is a kind of comprehensive knowledge that includes the perception of what is right and wrong. And so God is the one who has that knowledge. God is the one who assigns the proper label to all things. God knows all things, and God knows good, and God knows evil. That is the role of God. He is the one who defines all things. He is the one who, who designates what's good and what's not. But the serpent says, oh, listen, you can have that. See, being in the image of God that's not enough. You're not really in God's image. You want to be God? Then you have to stand in God's place. You need your eyes opened. Open to what? Open to where you can, in your own wisdom and knowledge, determine what is right and wrong. You need to be in that place. God's holding that back from you. You can't become all that you could be Unless you start deciding, you take your place. Famous German philosopher Immanuel Kant said essentially that very thing. He read the story of Adam and Eve, and he said, 
Adam and Eve eating the fruit, that was a good thing. That was a good thing because Adam threw off the oppression of external rules, recognized his own free will, and made his own choice. It was a step toward maturity. It was a step toward adulthood, said Khan. And so said the serpent. You can, you can be more than what you are if only you will eat. And you're not going to die. You really start living. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, of course it was. According to Genesis 2, every tree in the garden was good for food and pleasing to the eye. But when she saw the tree was also desirable for gaining wisdom, for defining her own life and her own moral code, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her. I want to say right there with her. And I want to say, what in the world were you doing? While all this is going on, you're sitting there passively? That's another story. And he ate it. And then look at this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, but not in the way the serpent suggested. They realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. For the first time, they realized they were naked, and they felt the need to cover up. They felt shame, in other words, and they had to hide from one another. See, that's what shame makes us want to do. We want to cover up. We want to hide from one another. Shame really, though, at its core is an alienation from ourselves. We reject ourselves on some profound level. And once having eaten of this fruit and disobeying God, Adam and Eve had their eyes opened. They took guilt upon themselves, and they felt that shame. They were alienated from themselves. But in the presence of one another, they had to cover up. They had to cover up. They, they, they had to find some comfort as they saw themselves through each other's eyes. And so they sewed fig leaves together to cover up. What's very interesting about this is this covering that they made. Uh, in Hebrew, it means apron or even loincloth, and it's probably the case that they were covering their sexual organ. Why is that? And why is it that of all the sins that humankind can commit, the ones most likely to elicit shame are so often related to sex? Now, in this particular case, their sin had nothing to do with sex. That is, they were, they were disobeying God's call to eat from the tree. But Immediately, they want to cover up their sex organs. I don't know exactly, but here's what's interesting. Our sexuality is given to us by God in order to have the power to create life. We are to fill the earth. Remember that from last week? We're to fill the earth. It gives us the power to create life. Sexuality is related to the very the very core of our being, the wellspring of our life. There's something powerful and mysterious about it, and it goes down to our very essence. That's why I think whenever 
we, we talk about sexual sin, it becomes so intensely personal. I can talk about it in a room like this and the room gets quieter and shame is felt. And I think because it's because we get aware of just how deep sin runs. And I think that's what's going on here. I think there's a sense in Adam and Eve, in fact, it's no question in my mind, that their guilt goes deep and so their shame is intense. So they cover up. They cover up. People have a lot of ways of covering up, right? I mean, you can use religion to cover up. I mean, you can use all sorts of things. You can use wealth to cover up. You can use your bravado to cover up, you know? There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. There's all kinds of ways you can try to cover up and to, to shove off the shame. But you might say, in a sense, it's, kind of, it's, like, it's like we've been curating our image on Instagram ever since Genesis chapter 3, you know, trying to put out a good image of ourselves. And so there they are, feeling ashamed. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid from God. Why? Well, they're alienated from themselves and from one another. And now from God as well. Once the pollution of sin comes deep in our being and the shame takes over, God is no longer seen as a loving creator. God is seen as a holy threat. So they hide from God. God asks the question, where are you? As if he didn't know. But the question was for Adam and for Eve, where are you? Consider where you stand and the condition in which you find yourself. Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. Look at that. I was afraid because I was naked. I felt exposed. I felt my shame, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. <laughs> that sounds familiar. But you notice, he's alienated from Eve now. There's a separation there. Even a separation from God because he's accusing God. The woman you gave me, the woman you gave me, it's not really my sin. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. You know, it's really your fault. In a way, he's still sowing fig leaves is what he's doing. But he's hiding. From God. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So she's pointing the finger too. It's not me, it's my circumstances. It's something, it's something outside of me. Isn't it interesting how we hide from God by, by focusing on external things? And see, this is what people do all the time. People in our day have a deep sense of shame. Humanity always lives with shame and guilt. 
Now, it, it is true that there's a difference between shame and guilt, okay? There is a difference, but you will never have guilt without some level of accompanying shame, and that's because deep in your soul, you know you're created for something better. You're created for something better, and you feel the pain of not living up to that. So we feel that sense of shame, and we hide from God, and we blame things on the outside of us. See, people are doing that all the time now. They're blaming something on the outside of them. What they want to say is everything in me is just fine. They don't feel like it's fine, but they insist it's fine. Because they have to insist, because their gospel is, if I just accept my authentic self, if I just find acceptance my authentic self, then I'll be free, then I'll be okay. And if you don't accept me, you're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. If you don't accept what I believe is good is good, then you are oppressing me. You are hurting me. You're committing violence against me. But you know what? It's still fig leaves. That's all that is. That's, that's shame, just trying to shake off shame. And it's hiding from the truth and saying the real problem is outside. But the truth is the real problem is on the inside. And it's not on the inside for one particular group of people. We all know that, right? It's for all of us. It's for pastor sinner up here and for everybody else, right? So we do all kinds of things. Oh, my gosh, we are motivated to do so many things because we're ashamed we want to put on a good, a good front, and that's exactly what Adam and Eve are tempted to do. The truth is our authentic self is not the troubled self of fallen humanity. Our authentic self is the one God created us to be, created in his image, freed from sin, living in fellowship with him. That's our authentic best self. The one that causes us to cover up and hide, that's not our best self. And there's no special virtue, really, in just telling everybody what's inside. I mean, sometimes we need, you know, it's, it's better than out-and-out -out hypocrisy, I suppose, but there's no deliverance there. It's only in God and the gospel and what Christ has done for us that we can be forgiven and healed. And that's what the gospel offers. The gospel of the world says there's really nothing wrong with you except what's been imposed on you. So you got to get in touch with what's outside, inside of you. If you can do that, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. The gospel of Jesus Christ, as said in the Bible, is no, there is something wrong with all of us, deeply wrong. And we all know it. We all know it. That's why we get mad when people say it because we don't want to hear it, and it's painful. But we all know there's something wrong with us. And so the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to bear our sins on himself that we might be saved, that we might be born anew. He says spiritually reborn, 
other words, there's a transformation that takes place. Now, the transformation begins in this life, and then we work it out, and until the second coming, we're not going to be completely free. We struggle. Christians struggle like anybody else. But that's the good news, that God doesn't leave us in our sins. God delivers us from our sins. Folks, those are two different messages. They are diametrically opposed. And the reason why many people in the church are are drifting away, having listened to this other message, is because they're believing another gospel. It's really that simple. You can't believe in the true gospel until you believe in a true fall from what God intended for us. That's just the truth. Now, I've got to hurry because I'm actually over time, just a little bit already. But I want to take you to the end of the chapter and just finish with this, okay? Because this is so, such an important thing to remember. And this is something that, that I'll be talking about later, especially when I get to particular issues where I could do great damage. I could do great damage at the very time that I'm trying to speak the truth. Look what it says. Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed I love that because here Adam and Eve are in their sin and they're in their shame and they're trying to cover up themselves and what God does is not rip away their covering and leave them in their humiliation. What God does is provide them better garments to cover their nakedness because God is a kind God. God isn't looking to humiliate or hurt anyone. And it's so important when we talk about some of the issues that we'll be talking about that we understand it's not our job to humiliate anyone. Fact is, every single person here, myself first of all, if we were to just play a film on these screens of our whole life uncensored, we would wither in humiliation. Let's just be real. So it's not our place to humiliate anyone else, regardless, regardless. God doesn't humiliate Adam and Eve. But you notice he doesn't allow them back in the garden. He says, the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil in an ironic way. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden. In other words, God sets up a boundary. God pushes Adam out because somehow that's not explained. If Adam and Eve eat of that tree of life, they'll be confirmed in their fallen state forever. They'll live forever fallen. And so part of God's mercy is to cover their shame and to exclude. And that's what the gospel truth sometimes does. It excludes so that we can be saved. It excludes so that we can be saved. It forces the issues on us. It's a hard word, but it's a saving word. Amen. We're going to pray. We include the service. I'm running a little late because the preacher's a little long-winded, but this is such an important thing. I think you understand why it's important to, to stay with it. There are lots of needs in this congregation, 
many of them have absolutely nothing to do with the, the exact issues I've talked about. Some of them do. They may involve you personally or they involve loved ones in your life. And something we try to do every service is to pray for those who have needs. And so in a moment, as we close in song, we'll have uh, men and women underneath the two crosses there to pray for you. And if something's burdening your heart, don't leave burdened, don't leave heavy. We want you to make your way to the cross and there'll be people to pray for you. And the good and gracious God will meet your need. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have sent your son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin, to heal us of our shame and guilt, to restore us to your high calling, to live as your image in this earth, Lord, we thank you for your graciousness and your goodness, and, and we're astonished that you extend it, Lord, to all, even, even, Lord, the extreme of extending it to us, each one of us. We know our sin, at least much of it. You know all of it, and yet you love us, and we thank you for that. Lord, may you work in our hearts. Help us to see the 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 terrible state from which we're delivered. Help us to see the grace that delivers and help us to be gracious to all. We pray this in Jesus' name.